following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Come on, give it up. There you go. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm about to help this boy preach. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm sorry that you are my second choice. That never gets old. I love it. I'm going to need you guys to help me preach this morning. Um, I'm going to preach something that sounds a little bit odd and off putting here in the, be- in the beginning, but it's called Grapes, Grasshoppers, and Giants. But before I get to that curious title, and before I kind of dig into where we're going to go here today, let me take just a moment and tell you something that you already know, and that is the fact that, uh, as I like to call him, El Pastor, uh, Rex Johnson is the man among men. Uh, he is just so amazing. When I grow up, I want to be just like him. Uh, it, it's, he's, he's just, his, his mark is upon our lives, and um, the older I get, the, the more I realize how difficult this thing called ministry is. And I just, I just grow in my appreciation for him. He really is a, an amazing, amazing man. He and his whole family. And Pastor Brad, uh, I think Pastor Brad still pays the bills around here. And I want to tell you, I guess you're in good hands. Because if it's been eight years and that boy is still in the same furniture, they're not wasting the money around here. I guess I can tell you that. I mean, like literally, his, the pictures that are on his wall, I took them on vacation. And I'm being very serious. I'm like, Brad, that's still my pictures. And he's like, well, they're good pictures. And so uh, I guess that you guys are in good hands there all the way around. But man, honored to be here. Let me get into this. Before I get into, again, preaching this, this curious title, let me kind of set the stage by telling you that there was a time in my life, uh, early on in my life, where I was around a group of friends one time at school. And... Um, they caught me on what I just have simply come to call as just kind of a, a dirty day. And, and what I mean by that, and maybe you are honest enough to, to agree with me here, they, they caught me on a day where there was a little, a little situation right here. I had, a little, I had a little cliffhanger. Come on, you know what I mean. I mean, it was a booger. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what it was. And for our guests, all of the sermons don't open with somebody talking about a booger, but this one does. And so uh, they caught me on this bad day and... Uh, and they ridiculed me, and they made terrible fun of me, and it was a, it was a horrific setting. It was a, it was a bad deal, and it affected me. Listen, it affected me so deeply that if you and I are talking after this gathering, and we're standing there talking, and you just kind of go like that a couple of times, if you do this twice in 60 seconds, I'm going to end the conversation, and I'm going to go to a mirror, and I'm going to look because I've still have been affected by that, that that happened to me early on in my life. And another example is I can't play basketball still to this day very well because I believe that that something happened to me as a kid that affected me in my in my uh, athletic prowess in, in, in the realm of basketball. This guy came up to me and said, you don't play basketball very good. And I was like, well, your mom's ugly. No, I didn't really say that. I just... <laughs> I just said, okay, you know, and, and, and I, I, I just kind of took that and, I, and embraced it 
So much the fact that I wanted to learn how to become a better basketball player. And so I got on teams and I did all this different kind of stuff. And, and it was back in the olden days, boys and girls, right after we discovered fire, you know, we had this, we had a cell phone that was in a bag that you brought around with you in, in the car. Anybody still have the physical strength to raise your arm? If you remember that, right? I do, right? And we put that in the car and my dad called me and said, son, I've had a car wreck and the Suburban's upside down. And I'm like, well, Dad, are you okay? Are you physically okay? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, cool, because I've got a basketball game. And I went, and I sent someone else to check on him and get him because I had to go and improve my basketball skills because whenever, whenever this guy said this to me, it just kind of did something to me. You know, it kind of did something to me on the inside of me. And I didn't realize how powerful it was until later. And one last example for you. I'm walking down the school hallway one day, and I get by... Wilton Berrios's room. He's a, he's a history teacher. And guys, I can remember it just as clear as I can see some of you right now that I'm looking at you. Wilton Berrios stood there at the corner of his door, kind of leaning up against the, the threshold of the door, the door frame. He had on a, a white short sleeve shirt with a black tie on. He had his hair parted in the middle and he said, Russ Cripps, come here. And he did this. He said, Russ Cripps, you'll never amount to anything. Yeah, that's, I mean, like, dude, you're a teacher. You're supposed to, like, bring out the best in me. And if that's the best that you can bring out in me, like, how bad am I really? And, and I just begin to realize that those things begin to affect me. And, and this type of thinking that I'm, that I'm talking about here is not just the foolishness of a teenager trying to gain acceptance. There's actually some science behind it. And it's the difference between the conscious and the unconscious. Now, most of you in here, you look very intelligent. You probably already know this, but let me just, for clarity's sake, let me tell you the difference between the conscious and the subconscious. The subconscious is things that's going on inside of our hearts, inside of our minds, inside of our brains that we don't even really know is there, but they're, they're, they're leading us and guiding us based on these, these things that are kind of buried down deep within. My, my, my oldest daughter married a gentleman from, from Ohio area, and he's an Ohio State fan, and Reagan graduated from LSU. And, and so there's, there's, there's subconscious things inside of their brain that like whenever Reagan goes shopping, she is just brought to God's choice of color, which is purple and gold. And Lucas is still fighting little, little Satan inside of his life, and he goes to that red and silver, you know what I mean? I mean... But they don't, they don't really realize where they're going. It's just something is on the inside of them that just kind of steers them in, in areas of their life. And they don't even realize that they're, that they're thinking those thoughts. And, and we, we all do the same thing. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Jay uh, this morning got up in the first two gatherings and he talked about whenever they got here this morning that there was no power um, Brad didn't pay the bill. No, Brad did pay the bill. But, but there, was, there was some power, that, power issues. And so whenever they got here, watch this, they began to think, okay, we have a problem and we have to find a solution. And those were thoughts that they were very aware that they were thinking. There's, there's something right here has to be addressed. Those were going on in the conscious minds. So there's the difference between the conscious and the subconscious. If you've been at this church for if you've been attending CLC for five years or more, would you please raise your hand real quick? Okay, so probably all of you, whenever you got in the car this morning, you did not get your phone and open up the map application and find out how to get here. You probably just got in the car 
and begin to come here. And, and some mornings we arrive here and we're like, whoa, how did I even get here? I don't even remember getting on Mopac and passing Camp Mabry. We're like, where have I been? I don't even know. But if this is your first time here, I want to tell you, you won't find a greater church in all of Austin, Texas. And so welcome home real quick is what I'll tell you there. But like you did research on it. You know, where's it at? Directions to the church. Westgate. Where's Westgate? Westgate is here, so we need to do 35 and then over. You start, okay, there's the difference between the conscious and the subconscious. So with that being said, let me tell you about a guy by the name of Dr. Maxwell Maltz, who was a surgeon who was specializing in the early, early days of cosmetic surgery. And he wrote this book called Psycho-Cybernetics. And he wrote it back in 1960. So look at your neighbor and say, 1960. So he wrote this book and he just got into the, into the details of the difference between the subconscious and the conscious. And I want you to listen to something. He wrote the book in 1960. We just said that out loud. They republished it in 2016 and nothing changed. Imagine writing a book about anything, right? And over 50 years, you're probably going to find a whole lot of new information to put in there. But the information was so powerful the information was so profound that nothing had changed in over 50 years. And so whenever they republished it, they just said, the same information is the information. And so they just put it out there. That is how powerful the difference between the conscious and the subconscious is. The opening line of the book perhaps tells it best. I believe you'll see it on the screen. A plastic surgeon does not simply alter a man's face. He or she can alter a man's inner self. And here's the sentence that I want you to grab. Some of the incisions are more than skin deep. So this dense but fascinating book tells powerful stories about how Dr. Maltz would do surgical procedures on people to change their physical looks. And the patients were 100% convinced that a change in their physical image would result in a change in their self-image. But it wasn't true 100% of the time. And so Dr. Maltz tells these stories, and I'm just going to share two to establish where we're going. But this first one is about this guy, and he thought that his ears were too big. He was in the sales industry, and he thought that his ears were too big, and he wasn't a good salesman. And every time that he would go in to do a sales presentation, he would think subconsciously, they're looking at my ears, they're looking at my ears, they're making fun of me whenever I go out of the room, they're looking at my ears, my ears are too big, my ears are sticking out, my ears, 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 that's all I can think about. And so he heard about this thing called plastic surgery, and he went and he said, Dr. Maltz, can you help? me. And Dr. Walt said, I think we can kind of tuck them in a little bit, trim them up a little bit, whatever the medical terminology is for working on your ears there. Probably not trimming them up. That just kind of came out of me. Sorry about that. If, in fact, if you ever go to a plastic surgeon and they just said, let's just trim you up, don't go to that plastic surgeon. But anyway, <laughs> that's why I need to stay on my notes. Stuff like that is exactly why I need to stay on my notes. But anyway, so this guy had this surgery and within six months of having the surgery, he was the number one salesman in the entire country. I mean, in, in, in his company. And then within two years, he was the top salesperson in his industry in the whole nation. And he looked back and he said, it's because, well, listen, I changed the way that I saw myself. And when he changed the way that he saw himself, he changed the way that he saw himself. And then there's another example about this young lady. And she was born with, with a hair lip. And, and she... I mean, I cannot begin to imagine the type of 
mistreatment that she went through, like, as a kid, right? Because kids are mean. Like, if you got a kid, they're mean. I mean, the kids will just say anything, right? They'll just say whatever's on their mind about whatever. And can you imagine, like, in elementary school, in late elementary school, junior high, some of the things that she must have experienced and encountered. So what happened is she built this wall, this, this emotional wall around here, and she wouldn't let anybody in. Because if anybody got in, if anybody got close to me, they're just, they're just going to be looking at my affliction. They're just going to be looking at this problem that I've got. And so she was just mean as a snake to everybody, didn't hardly have any friends, built this wall around her, and she heard about surgery, heard about plastic surgery. So she called Dr. Moss and she said, can you help me? He said, yes, actually, we can, we, can, we can fix this. And so they went in, they did the surgery, and the surgery was a success. And so she comes out, and one year later after the surgery, she had less friends than she had before the surgery. And the reason is because she didn't change the way that she saw herself. When she looked into the mirror, she saw the physical change, but the physical change did not correspond with any, in, in, any kind of internal change. And so the point of the book and the point of this message is how you see yourself externally depends on how you see yourself internally. Your mental and emotional and spiritual concept or the picture of yourself is actually very key to determining your personality and your behavior. And so I've got a sentence, I've got a statement that I want you to like just hold on to for the rest of this day, for the rest of your life. Get you a new tattoo that says this or tweet this or Instagram it or something. You'll see it on the screen because it's so powerful and so true. You literally cannot behave in a manner that is inconsistent with your self-image. You literally cannot behave in a manner that is inconsistent with the way that you see yourself. It just will not happen. Again, this man saw himself differently. And because he saw, listen, because he saw himself differently, he began to behave differently. And the lady was just the opposite. The lady saw a difference on the outside, but she didn't, she didn't correlate that and bring that in to the inside. And the question is why? Why does it work on some people and not on the others? It's because mine and your feelings of inferiority originate not so much with the facts, but it's our conclusions about the facts. And so that thing that happened to you in your past, it's still defining you because of your interpretation of the facts, not the facts. The things that are still holding you captive, the things that happened to you, now, 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 now listen, I've said this in all three services, I want to be very clear. If something very traumatic happened to you at some point in your life and in your early years, I'm not belittling those feelings and belittling those emotions. I'm just saying they don't have to hold you captive. They don't have to define you for the rest of your life. Amen to that. So it's not the things that happen to you, it's your interpretation of those things that happen to you that make such a difference. And so I'm not gonna name last names, but Steve and his little, little, his little group of friends they rejected me that day, and I took that. Watch this, watch this. This is gonna set up where we're going. I embraced that rejection, and I said, I must not be the kind of a kid that the cool kids wanna hang out with. And Doug thought that he could play basketball better than me, and he, and he expressed that opinion, and I chose to accept that criticism as truth. And Mr. Barrios told me that I was a loser headed for nowhere, and I chose to accept that opinion as truth. And listen, whenever you take a truth and you embrace it towards your life, then that truth becomes a belief about who you are as a human being. 
And when you believe something, you act according to how you believe those to be true. You see how it's all coming together. So let me give you one more quick idea before I shift gears here this morning. I believe you'll see it on the screen. Your view of yourself is determined by three things. The first thing is your perspective of yourself. It's a depth of field application that's going on here. So today at lunch, if you get out your iPhone and you take a picture of someone and you use the portrait mode, side note, surely you have an iPhone and not an Android. If not, we can pray that out of you at the end of the gathering. But anyway, yeah, there we go, there we go. Where was I? Yeah, see, that's again, you got to stay on your notes. Perspective, perspective, depth of field. Because the depth of the field, what that does is it brings, watch, it brings the subject into clarity and it blurs out the background. And it's, and it's because the eye, man, I hope you guys are getting this. The eye focuses where the clarity is. And so how do you see yourself in reference to the thing that has happened to you? Are you focusing on the thing that's happened to you? Or are you focusing on the Savior that has pulled you out of all of that stuff? What are you focusing on? Your perspective of you and your mindset about you. What's a mindset? Your mindset is your settled way of thinking about yourself. I'm fixing to help some people. Listen, some of you have the mindset of yourself to where you're thinking thoughts like, I'll always be an alcoholic. I'll always be addicted to pornography. I'll always be untruthful. I'll always be full of anger and treat my children with contempt. And if you'll notice, your perspective of you, your mindset of you, and third, your language of you, your mindset of you, whenever you think thoughts about you, you're using words. Now, most of you would never say out loud, I choose to stay in addiction for the rest of my life. But you think, I'm an addicted person, so I am going to stay addicted. You see what I'm saying? You begin to think thoughts about yourself. You begin to say words about yourself, and suddenly you're living that life. And hopefully it's at this point that you're beginning to say, what in the world does all this have to do with Jesus? Like, what does this have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does this have to do with anything spiritual? Are you teaching science here this morning, Pastor, or are you preaching a sermon? And it's here is where I would just kind of put my foot down and say, oh, my brothers and sisters, ha. You didn't even know that I've been preaching to you already. Right? Because everything that I have been saying is the number one tool that the enemy will use against you to convince you that you're not worthy of being a part of the kingdom of God. You got to learn to see yourself differently. The enemy will say things like your past is way too messed up. Your present is way too dysfunctional. Your future is, well, let's not even get into your future because your, your past is so messed up and your present is so messed up that you don't even have a shot at the future. And you begin to hear the enemy tell you these things over and over and over again. You'll begin to hear the enemy tell you you're way too inconsistent. And you'll think, well, maybe I am a little bit inconsistent. And you begin to see yourself as someone who is inconsistent. And when you see yourself as someone who is inconsistent, then on Sunday mornings, whenever the iPhone, not the Android, whenever the iPhone alarm goes off, you reach over and hit snooze because the subconscious part of you sees you as the kind of person, sometimes I go to church and sometimes I don't. 
You see yourself as inconsistent as someone who opens the word of God. The enemy will tell you you're so inconsistent in breaking open the scriptures and reading the scriptures. And so you kind of get this little hint of conviction and you open up the scriptures and you're like, and so-and-so begat so-and-so and he begat so-and-so. And I don't even know who these guys are and I don't know what begat means and I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what's going on here. And so the enemy will tell you you're so inconsistent in getting into the word of God, you might as well go ahead and put it down. And so you put it down. And you begin to see yourself as someone who is inconsistent in opening the Word of God. And then all of a sudden, you're living a life in the same manner because you're behaving in a manner in which you've come to see yourself. I hope that you're seeing how this is all coming together. And the problem is you begin to believe the enemy and you begin to embrace those things as truths about yourself. And you take his tricks... And you take them as truth, and it's how you become to see yourself. But this morning, I have come to preach to you that it is time that you stop seeing yourself as you see you, and it's time that you start seeing yourself as God sees you. And my prayer for the church in Austin, Texas, is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. He writes this letter to the Ephesians, and in chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I just wish that I could get you guys to understand the riches of his glorious inheritance of his holy people. If I could just convince you of his incomparably great power for all of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted whenever he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realm. And I just pray that the eyes of your heart would open to where you would realize that he's talking about you. I just wish that I could get the scales to fall off of your eyes to where you would begin to see Not just the power that you have access to, not just the the great power, but the incomparably great power that you have, that you have access to. If I could just get you to see it, why does it matter? It matters so much because you'll never behave in a manner that is inconsistent with the way that you see yourself. Luke 17 and 21, the kingdom of God is within you. That should fire you up, right? And I think the best response that I got in the whole house is right up here. Uh, Amen. Right? Let me step on your toes a minute. Okay, here we go. What if I told you, my brother, I'm going to give you $1 million. I said that in the second gathering, and I believe it was your wife. She went, glory. (laughs) I just married two daughters. I'll take 10 bucks. I'm broke. All ushers, if you would, please come. No, I'm picking. I'm picking. If I told you that I was going to give you a million dollars, I believe some of you would go, what? A little fired up. Come on, somebody, right? But what if I told you that you already have something that far exceeds any amount of money on planet Earth? You've got the kingdom of God dwelling inside of your heart and your soul. (laughs) Man, 
That's telling me that God has already put inside of your hearts and souls and minds everything that you'll ever need to fight every devil and every demon that comes your way. You've already got it. You just need to realize it. Let the scales from your eyes fall off and realize Ephesians 5 and 1, you are a dearly beloved child. If you are in Christ, if you are saved, you are in the family. You are written into the inheritance. That means that that should give you courage like you've never had before. Give you courage to just kind of get your Holy Ghost swag on. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if something's wrong with my hips or if that's actual swag. But something, it should give you courage to where you would start living your life according to the relationship and the association that you have instead of the battles that you're fighting around you. Courage. Courage. Romans 8, 15. The spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship. Hey, y'all, listen. He's my dad, and he owns the world, and he calls me his own. My dad worked in the finance company. My earthly father worked in the finance company industry, and he had some loan offices, and there was times where I would go in, and, and I would just, I'd take over an office. I'd like, if you got kids that come to work with you, you know what they do. They come in, they start moving desks around and moving chairs and making forts and everything, getting all the highlighters and sticky notes and copy paper and paper clips and just setting up everything. And I would just get in there and I would get all bold and I would just dare somebody, to an empl- a mere employee, to walk by and give me the stink eye. I would say, my daddy owns you. Won't you get out of my face and go get me a juice box and get out of my life? Because this, my dad owns you, right? I mean, my dad owns everything. Now, my dad didn't own her, but my heavenly father owns everything. And he's your heavenly father too. But you don't understand, Pastor Russ. I got problems. Woe is me. You got the spirit of Eeyore on you, Right? The sky's always falling and everything's always wrong and you don't ever have enough money and the kids are always driving you crazy. Your marriage is a wreck and your finances are just on and on and on. Romans 8 and 15. What then shall we say in reference to all of these things? Oh, it says, if God be for you, then who can be against you? (laughs) If God be for us, who can be against us? I want us to read that together. And whenever you get to that word, who, I want you to like go back to your junior high years where your voice was cracking and just, who, like, who is going to come against me? What then shall, read it all together. Come on. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who? Because in all of these things, You're not just a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. Now lead us so strong. I'm preaching so good, I'm completely out of time. I gotta hurry. I got 13 minutes. Y'all with me for 13 minutes? If I can just get you to see it. If I can just get you to understand. And you hear this and you're just like, 
You get all fired up. You're like, give me a wet washcloth and I can go to hell and extinguish the whole place. I'm so fired up. Right? And then there's some of you that's like, I don't know. I mean, I know God can save other people, but I don't know if he can save me. And I know God can heal other people's addictions, but man, mine's, mine's strong. And I know God can heal some other marriages, but, but man, my marriage is, is in bad shape. And I want to tell you, if you're struggling this morning to see yourself as God sees you, you're actually not alone. And so to prove my point, let me get back to this odd title that I introduced in the beginning. Because the biblical passage that I'm going to reference is found in the book of Numbers. It's in the Old Testament. It's written by a guy named Moses. And he gives us not only an insight into history, but he gives us a template of faith. And so the context is God's chosen people. Listen, God's chosen people had been in slavery for 400 years. So the, the, what has to happen at this point, you got to put yourself into the scripture because Israel was indicative of sin and slavery. It's metaphorical for sin and slavery. And so we were in sin because if you could have saved yourself, you would have already done it by now. But that's what sin does. It, it shackles us. And so put yourself into this same story. And, and we, we, we read where the Lord said to Moses, Moses, I've already set this up for you. I've given you guys a promised land. Verse 2, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving the Israelites. I don't think any of this is on the screen because I just wanted you guys to follow me as I go through this, this entire thing right here. Because this is where I'm fixing to preach. Everything was right before that, that was just my introduction. This is the message right here, okay? <laughs> Verse 18, this is Moses. See what the land is like and whether the people that live there are strong or weak or few or many. Go check this out for us. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good land? Is it bad land? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled? Are they fortified? Are they strong? How's the soil? What's the, is it fertile? Is it poor? Are there any trees? Are there no trees? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Verse 23, when they had reached the valley, of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single, a single cluster of grapes. And it was so big that two of them had to carry it back on a pole between them. And so they're right on the edge of the promised land. And God sends this message to them that says, hey guys, I've got something better for you. Does anybody believe that God has something better for you? Anybody believe that, come on, anybody believe that God's got a promise for you? They're right there on the border of better. They're right there on the border of getting into their destiny and getting into their land. And so they go out, and so they bring back this news, and and, and they say, Moses, there's some good stuff there. And so church, listen, I've got some good news for you. You'll sit on the screen. God has grapes, and grapes are symbolic of your future. Grapes are are symbolic of, of where God is bringing you. God has grapes, and he's got more grapes, and he's got more grapes, He's got more grapes. And these grapes are going to be, and I know everything's bigger in Texas, but I started to go get some, some grapes that were this big, but even Texas doesn't have grapes that are that big to where one cluster has to be brought with two people on a pole. Guys, God's got grapes for you. God's got promises for you. God's got some incredible things for you. How do I know this? I'm so glad that you asked. Jeremiah 29 and 11, God is speaking to his children and he says, listen, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and plans to give you a future, says the Lord God Almighty. God has plans. God has possibilities. God has opportunities. God has big doors that are fixing to open for you. 
You're going to reach the right people at the right time for the right reasons, and you're going to go in the right direction. God has promises for you. Numbers 13 and 26, the story goes on. They came back to Moses, and they reported to him and all the assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land, and they gave Moses this account. We went into the land that you sent us to, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey, and here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and they're very large. And so along with the good news, I've got some not so good news and it's on the screen and it simply says there are some giants in the land of the grapes. If you want some grapes, you gotta fight some giants. And this is where everybody in this building has to come to a decision this morning. Whether you're 16 years old or you're 96 or somewhere in between. Everybody in this building has to make a decision. Am I going to accept what the devil is trying to do to me in my life? Or am I willing to fight for the promises that God has for me? So verse 30, Caleb then silenced uh, the people before Moses and he said, look, guys, all y'all need to hush about the giants because I believe that we can do this. I believe that we can get this done. But verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, hush, Caleb. That's the Texas translation. Hush, y'all. We can't attack these people. They're bigger than we are. They're stronger than we are. And verse 32 ends, and the people that they saw were of great size. A lot of translation says they were giants. And so isn't that the voice of the enemy? Where he says, I know that God probably has a good future for you, but you've got some giants that you're not ready for. And you hear that so much that you begin to believe them because how you see yourself is how you're going to behave. And why does this matter so much? Here's the whole message. Numbers 13 and 33. It's on the screen. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. It doesn't say the giants looked at us and saw us as grasshoppers. It says we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. I didn't see us as the kind of people that could pursue God's promises. I didn't, I didn't have the self-image of the kind of person that could follow God's calling in my life. I, I saw myself as the kind of person that was about the size of a grasshopper. And here's where it gets really muddy. And we looked the same to them. Because when you see yourself as a grasshopper, you grant permission for the enemy to do the exact same thing. Somewhere along the journey, we've kind of gotten off track. On the screen, you'll see it. One of Christianity's biggest mistakes is to assume that if God has something for us, we don't have to fight for it. That's not true. Every good marriage, you've got to fight for it. Don't fight in it, fight for it. Every good relationship with a child, you've got to fight for it. Every calling that God places upon your life, every promise that he gives you, you've got to fight for it. Just because he says you're going to be able to have access to it does not mean that, that the waters are going to part. You're just going to float through the clouds of glory, raising people from the dead at work every day. You've got to fight for the calling that God has upon your life. You've got to be willing to go in and fight. And so as the musicians come, 
It doesn't stop right there. A lot of times we stop at the end of that chapter, but here's the saddest part of all of it to me. Numbers 14, the second, like the, the, the back side of the back, the back half of, of, of verse two, the people, listen, listen, look at me. God's chosen people that God had said, I'm giving you the promised land. It's already yours. You just gotta go in. When they began to realize they were gonna have to fight some giants, they said, if we had only died in Egypt. Verse three, wouldn't it be better if we just go back to Egypt? So you put that into your context, wouldn't it be better if I would just stay an alcoholic? Wouldn't it be better if I would just stay in a terrible marriage instead of fighting for victory inside of the marriage? Wouldn't it be better if I just died in my sins? No. Every one of you would stand here today and you would say, no, that's a terrible idea. Then why do we do it? Why do we just reside ourselves? This is what my lot in life is. I'm just an angry person who's mean to their kids all the time. I'm just a dishonest person. And every time my, my lips move, I'm telling an untruth. It's because you see yourself as a person who tells. Because you'll never behave in a manner that's inconsistent with how you see yourself. And so as you stand, I'm going to say a prayer over you, but I've got one final sentence for you. I've got one final statement for you. It's on the screen. The grapes are reachable. The giants are defeatable. And you're no grasshopper. Come on. Let's read this all loud together. One, two, three. The grapes are reachable. The giants are defeatable. And I'm no grasshopper. mind every head bowed the prayer partners want to come to the front here and get ready in case anybody is is wanting and needing to come up here I want to pray listen 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 if you've never listened to me please if you've never seen yourself as the type of person who can be saved you got to change that today salvation is in this house if you've never seen yourself as the type of person who can say yes to Jesus you got to change that today because the scripture says that he died for all, not just some. Not just the white, not just the black, not just the rich, not just the poor, all. you got to see that salvation is something that you have access to. And if something from your past is still holding you captive and still trying to define your life, you got to learn to see yourself as something that can beat that. You gotta learn to see yourself as more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so let me pray all across this building. Help me pray. Lord, we yield our hearts and our lives to you. Lord, if there's somebody in this building and they wanna come down front, they need to come down and pray with one of these prayer partners. Give them the courage to do so right now. Give them the guts to come down here, Lord, and make a declaration to you and surrender their hearts and their lives to you. Give them the power and the authority to step out of the aisle and come down and get past their past. 
get past the holding thing, the things that are holding them captive. And Lord, if somebody's going to stay there in the aisle, I just pray that your power and your presence would consume this place right now, Lord. Don't let anybody in this building leave with a spirit of fear. Don't let anybody in this building leave with a spirit of condemnation. But Lord, let them find forgiveness. Let them find freedom from the, from the enemy. Let them find freedom from their own version of Egypt. Lord, if there's somebody in this building and they're struggling to see themselves as you see them, would you just let the scales fall from their eyes right now? If someone is here, Lord, and they're having to fight in the land of giants, would you give them strength to fight in the battle right now? Come on, if you're here with friends or family, pull them close right now. Pray as groups, pray as families, pray as couples. Pray, pray together. Come on, just get with somebody and just pray for strength in this house. Lord, we need your power in this place. We need your authority in this place. Let your presence dwell in this place, Lord. Let your presence dwell. It's in Jesus' name.